It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, here we go. Stand by. Three, two, one. The thinking atheist. It's not a person. It's a symbol. An idea. The population of atheists in this country is going through the roof. Rejecting faith. Pursuing knowledge. Challenging the sacred. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth. Not because I put my hand on a book and made a wish. And working together for a more rational world. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Assume nothing. Question everything. And start thinking. This is the Thinking Atheist Podcast. Hosted by Seth Andrews. There is video of this conversation. That YouTube link is in the description box of the show. Andrew Seidel is a constitutional attorney. He's written a brand new book. It is called American Crusade, How the Supreme Court is Weaponizing Religious Freedom. The book has released. It is out, right? It is out. Uh, it was written under much duress imposed by this U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, it's out. It's doing well. I'm excited. I'm, I'm just glad people are reading this and, and waking up to this genuine crusade being waged against our First Amendment uh, in an attempt to weaponize the concept of religious freedom. How dare you criticize <laughs> The Supreme Court. This is what John Roberts essentially said early September when he did that Colorado press conference. He said, well, you know, in a free society, you can certainly criticize the court. But to say, to assert, to even suggest we may not be legitimate at the Supreme Court. I mean, he was very defensive. Did you see that press conference? I did. Yes, I did. And? Yeah. Well, so I mean... John Roberts is one of the crusaders who was on the Supreme Court, right? Like in 1985, we have we have memos from him talking about this 1985 Supreme Court decision that corrupt, correctly struck down Alabama schools uh, having a minute of mandatory silence for 
meditation or voluntary prayer. Right. And so Roberts is working in the White House at the time and he writes in this memo, we have a long uphill battle to return prayer to schools. Right. We battle return prayer to schools. Right. This is the language of a crusader. Uh, and this is the point that I try to make in the book. You know, we have another five justices on this court are eager to weaponize the concept of religious freedom and to tear down the wall of separation between church and state. And if we pretend like they are arbiters of truth and justice uh, and not political people put on the court to voice this change upon the country, uh, we are helping them in their work. Uh, and I really think one of the things I try to do is in, in American Crusade, I try to, if you want to understand what's happening with religion and the law and with our Supreme Court, you have to read the book. But you've also got to unshackle your mind from the belief that our Supreme Court is an impartial arbiter of truth and justice, because the crusade that I'm talking about depends on people believing this myth. And, and this, I think the simplest proof point of this is that McConnell and Trump and Leonard Leo, who I talk about in the book, they cheated and they stole and they packed the courts to put their collaborators in place, not because those justices would administer the rule of law even handedly, but because they wouldn't. So, you know, I think American Crusade is like nothing most people have read. It's not a law book. It is exposing an attempt to warp our law. It shows that there is this network of really well-funded groups trying to shift the law and that the justices on our Supreme Court are eager and ready to take those cases, that they actually want to hear these cases. I've already, I don't want to spend much time on the <laughs> chat room, but I've already seen somebody here who's like, well, I used to love this show before it became political. How the hell can we not be political when trying to stand up against Christian nationalism? I heard someone say the other day, the personal is political, right? It speaks to mm -hmm. human rights. It speaks to what kind of world we want to live in. It speaks to equality, be it religious or non-religious, racial, gender equality. It's all freaking political. How the hell do we not talk about politics on this show? Which brings me to a question I was actually going to address later. But I do see some of that, you know, well, uh, the two party system, blah, blah. I'm not going to participate in that because if you participate by voting or whatever, you're simply enabling an antiquated and corrupt system. So I'm just going to check out. Then Donald Trump gets elected and he appoints no fewer than three, three activist evangelicals to the Supreme Court, and lo and behold, watch the dominoes fall. Andrew, you want to talk about I mean, I, I, think it, I think that's a, it's a poor outlook in our political climate right now. We, we are fighting authoritarianism, and, and it is coming for absolutely everything. It's not just coming for the right to an abortion and reproductive freedom generally. It's coming for contraception. It's coming for marriage equality. It's coming for equality as a basic rule. I mean, and this is a, a big part of this is the crusade to weaponize religious freedom. You, you are right, Seth, in a sense that everything is political at this point in time. Our basic human rights are under threat from the Supreme Court, from the justices that Trump packed onto the court. I mean, the separation of church and state, I don't think people really grasp how 
crucial it is for two of the, the bedrocks of, of America, equality and democracy. Right? The, the, and the separation of church and state helps enshrine and guarantee those two things. And the Supreme Court and the Crusaders, groups like Alliance Defending Freedom, Beckett Fund, First Liberty, Liberty Council, are working to weaponize religious freedom, to literally give conservative white Christians in this country a weapon that is embedded in our Constitution that says the law does not apply to them, it applies to everybody else. Working to make them a special favored class and make everybody else second class citizens. So your rights are under threat. Right? They are seeking this, this favored class. So uh, the Crusaders, and this is the group that is trying, these groups that are trying to do this, have been waging this fight for remorselessly for a decade, even though they laid the groundwork much earlier than that. And their religious freedom challenges are superficially about things that we've talked about on your show. You know, they're about Christian crosses or and veterans or playgrounds or private school vouchers or bakeries and gay weddings. But really, they are about religious privilege, often literally about privileging the right kind of conservative Christianity over everybody else. And, and the reason they are seeking this weapon is because it allows them to reclaim and entrench their lost or waning status as the dominant demographic caste in our society. And, and so really what we're talking about is, the, is to use religious freedom to elevate conservative Christianity above the law, to exempt conservative Christians from the law while disfavoring the non-religious and non-Christian citizens, or even liberal Christians who are then required to, to follow law. So they're, they're seeking a weapon to codify their privilege and supremacy. And if you do not see how that affects you and do not think that is a big deal or don't think you need to be political as a result, it's probably because you're a conservative white Christian. You're probably going to benefit from this crusade. Everybody else needs to be standing up and fighting against it. And the first step in that is learning what is at stake so go get a copy of American Crusade. I was uh, borrow this line from you. I actually borrowed two lines from you, and I try to give you credit. But you talk <laughs> often about, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but what we're seeing in the courts and in the school boards and all these weaponized, the governorships, et cetera, with Stitt and DeSantis and Abbott, et cetera, is uh, the railing against the dying of their privilege. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a mad scramble by the wounded animals watching the demographic shift. What was that Pew Research study that said by the year, I'm trying to remember, but it was like 2050 or something, that the non-religious, religious nuns will probably be a statistical majority. So, you know, now you see the Supreme Court's right-wing evangelical activists going, holy shit, what are we going to do? I'm going to talk for a second. I'm going to dial in on Clarence Thomas. <laughs> Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, appointed back by Bush 1, I think it was 91. And, you know, he's really problematic. I think he was uh, the only Supreme Court justice to block White House records regarding the January 6th insurrection. But his wife is just wacky. Uh, Virginia Thomas is an election denier. She had actually emailed uh, the governor or uh, politicians in Wisconsin and Arizona to have the Biden victory overturned. I mean, she's really problematic, mm -hmm. which brings us into that conflict of interest territory, right? 
I mean, sure, she's her own person doing her own thing, but if she is Mrs. Clarence Thomas, should he be recusing himself from all related lawsuits that appear in the Supreme Court? What do you think? Uh, it actually is so much worse than people realize uh, what Clarence and Ginny Thomas are doing to essentially the rule of law. Uh, and I do get into this both in American Crusade and then in the update that's also coming for the book. You know, it is they she is sitting on the boards of these shadowy organizations that are funding a lot of this litigation with uh, the people who are bringing the litigation. Uh, for instance, you know, with, with Kelly Shackelford of First Liberty, um, who brought the uh, the coach case uh, from this past term uh, and also was involved in the Carson versus making case out of Maine this past term uh, and some challenges to COVID uh, health and safety measures. And she's on a board with him, which deals with those very cases. Uh, the, the, uh, the Carson versus making case out of Maine, which was essentially where the Supreme Court held this term, that uh, taxpayers, the government must use its taxpayer power, or it's, excuse me, its taxing power to force taxpayers to fund Christian indoctrination at Christian schools. A, just a wild, wild augmentation of this crusade and weaponization of religious freedom. And that one of that one of those cases was also brought by the Institute for Justice, which was founded by a man who Clarence Thomas worked very closely with. He is the godfather of their children. Uh, this is Clint Bollock, who is now an Arizona Supreme Court uh, justice, and his wife is the one that Ginny Thomas was emailing in the Arizona legislature. So it, it, the the details in these are so much worse than people realize, and I do get into them in American Crusade, but this this is, it's symptomatic of the overall problem that, that I'm trying to get at, that there is a deliberate attempt to weaponize what the First Amendment means. And I mean that quite literally, to hand conservative white Christians a weapon that they can use to rage against the dying of their privilege. And the court is aiding in that fight. They, they called for this crusade. They want this to happen. It's not just that they're up there making these decisions. They are part of the crusade, which people do not, I think, fully grasp. Um, and can I touch on the other thing you said too, Seth, because it's so important the, yeah. that, that really this is about losing that dominant status. You know, you touched on, you touched on the pew numbers, um, and, and the shifting pew numbers, right? Like white Christian nationalists are fearful of the changing demographics in America. And, and they are reacting to, in a way that they can maintain that traditional white Christian power structure. And there's, there's a lot of data backing this up that's really fascinating. It's called dominant group status threat. And when they feel threatened, they are increasingly willing to turn to anti-democratic, un-American, unconstitutional means to reclaim that dominant status. And you touched on one of the proof points, right? You touched on the, the shifting number of nuns, uh, which is, you know, I mean, a, a big deal. But it's also things like the fact that by 2046, white people are no longer going to be the majority in America. We had our first black president. We now have our first female black vice president, the increasing power of women, you know. And one of the things that we are really seeing is this, this attempt to pervert this hallowed constitutional protection as a backlash against all of those shifting demographics. And you know, it's my contention uh, that our nation promises everyone the freedom to believe as they want, but that our laws can't harm anyone 
Uh, and nobody gets to use religious freedom as in a license to harm anyone. And that, that's what I do in my day job too, right? It's not just about the book, but like, so for instance, I work at Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Um, and they bring together people of all religions and none to fight in courts and in legislatures and in the public square for freedom without favor and equality without exception. And, and that kind of work is exactly what we need to be seeing right now as a response to this crusade, which is itself a backlash against those shifting demographics. And an important point is that uh, there are many people of faith who join us in the fight to protect state church separation and oppose Christian nationalism. It's not popular sometimes among many of my fellow seculars, Democrats, atheists to say that, but we have a lot of allies in religious circles, and I think we need to join hands with them. Andrew Seidel, author of the new book, American Crusade. Uh, the Supreme Court is weaponizing religious freedom. The link to that in the description box you'd mentioned earlier. The uh, gay wedding cake case. Now, you cover a lot of these specific types of cases as examples in the book. This was, uh, what, back in 2018, Supreme Court ruling 7-2 to two in favor of a baker in Colorado. He said he's a devout Christian. It's against his Christian values to bake a cake for a gay couple. And the Supreme Court rules in his favor. Baker's name was Jack Phillips. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate when I ask the question, does a private business owner have the right to refuse service to whoever he or she wants, or are we talking a violation of discrimination laws? I mean, it's quite clearly a violation of discrimination laws. Um, and and this, is, this is the thing that I think is really, that I really brought to the book, to American Crusade, and that I can bring to this conversation, because you know this, like... I have been in the trenches in these fights for a decade, right? I, I know what really happened in this case. Not only did I live all of the cases, many of the cases, and follow them closely, this has been my whole career, right? I litigated some, I briefed others, I've been on the front lines defending our country from this assault. So, you know, you, you get Supreme Court justices who will rewrite and rearrange and even adopt deceitful narratives in cases, uh, ignoring photographic evidence to fit, to reverse engineer decisions. Um, most flagrant example of that was in the Coach Kennedy versus Bremerton case. And because of that, I wanted to dig deeper in the book. So, now, hang on, hang on. I've got to jump in. Yeah. Describe yeah. the Coach Kennedy case for those who may not have been following, you know, the football team and all that stuff. So, so this was a case about a coach who was imposing prayer on his team uh, at a public high school. And that, that we know for a fact that athletes and members of that team felt pressured into joining his Christian prayers at the 50 yard line right after games, right? That, that was in the record. Um, and we have lower court just judges uh, at the Ninth Circuit warning the Supreme Court essentially about adopting the, the deceitful narrative that the other side was, that Kennedy's side was putting forth in that case. And when it came time to decide that case, the Supreme Court just adopted that deceitful narrative wholesale. It was truly remarkable. And because of that, and the gay wedding cake case is another really good example of that, I, I wanted to go deeper. So for the chapter uh, on the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, I actually interviewed a lot of the people who were involved. I interviewed the couple who was involved in that case about what precisely happened that day, even though we also have uh, undisputed facts about what happened at the lower level uh, from that day. And then I actually interviewed uh, in that case, the Supreme Court didn't really reach the question yet of whether religious freedom was a license to discriminate. Instead, what it said was that the administrative body that Colorado has 
which handles violations of civil rights laws, acted in such a way that it was uh, basically mean to the religion of Jack Phillips, the baker, right? That, that they violated his religious freedom by being hostile to his conservative Christianity. All right, hang on. Um, I need which, to jump in here. Um, but let me jump yeah. in. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But I had no. taken away from that story that the court had considered this very public prayer at the 50-yard line with the team essentially required to be there, a private religious exercise. Are you saying yeah. that that was not the position of the court? No, no. That, I mean, that was part of what the court said. Okay. Uh, and it, that, that was, that, I mean, that narrative was completely false. And if you, <laughs> you can look at, for instance, Justice Sotomayor's dissent, where she has photographic evidence that it is not private or public that there are crowds of people gathered with him at the 50-yard line, uh, right? And, and truly private and non-public prayer doesn't end up being defended on Fox News. Uh, it doesn't end up going to the Supreme Court. And one of the things that's really fascinating in that case is that the school district bent over backwards time and time and time again to allow this coach to actually say his prayers in a way that didn't coerce students into joining, that didn't pressure them. And he the, continually, the coach rejected all of those offers. He wasn't willing to do a truly private moment of prayer. Uh, he wanted to be able to do his prayers in such a way that it was imposing on other people's children. I'm um, reminded of that scripture in Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is prayer as performance. You know, it's straight up oh, evangelicalism. So, and you know, you know, one of the really fascinating things about that case was that uh, a lot of local clergy, Bremerton area clergy, weighed in in the case at the Supreme Court, and they weighed in in favor of the school district and against the coach. And in fact, on the day of the oral argument, Americans United held a rally there, and a Representative Jamie Raskin showed up and gave this amazing rally talk. Uh, CEO Rachel Lazar showed up and gave this amazing, uh, really just great rally speech. And then we had all of this clergy from Bremerton come and give talks and, and say, this is not what religious freedom means. Uh, and, and a couple of them actually cited that exact same chapter and verse, Seth. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, when, which I think re just really gets to the point that you mentioned earlier about we absolutely have to unite with people who believe like we do in the separation of church and state, right? Uh, Chrissy Stroop says that shared values matter more than shared beliefs. And I, I, I completely agree with that. And we need to align with anybody that is opposed to Christian nationalism and tearing down the wall of separation of church and state. Uh, we are, we're not going to win uh, if, if we do otherwise. So in the how full of shit are they department, allow me to talk. <laughs> I was speaking with attorney Monica Miller from the American Humanist Association about the Supreme Court's ruling on that big-ass Florida cross yeah. <laughs> on taxpayer-funded government property. And the Supreme Court issues another stellar ruling that essentially says, well, the cross isn't actually Christian. Andrew Seidel, can we talk about that? We can. So I've got a whole chapter on the Bladensburg cross in the book. Uh, so, you know, I mean, all of the modern cases that you're seeing 
where the Supreme Court is working to tear down the wall of separation of church and state and weaponize religious freedom. I have a chapter in American Crusade on. Um, so I've got one on the cross case, one on the masterpiece cake shop case. And then I also go over the history. And I, I wanted to present this in a way that was really accessible for anyone. So this isn't a book that is written by a law nerd. Okay. It was written by a law nerd. Yeah, you're it's a law nerd. law nerd. It's not written for <laughs> law nerds. Like I, I wrote it for everybody. Anybody can pick this up and realize, and hopefully then after they realize, turn around and help fight against this truly dangerous threat, not just to our constitution, but to, to all of our democracy. Um, so, so I do get into the cross case and this is another example. You know, I interviewed Monica for that case. I talked to her at great length. You know, I, I had worked kind of closely with her on some of the prep work for it. Anyway, I was actually in the courtroom uh, in, in the Supreme Court, the day that case was argued. Um, so I have a little bit of personal insight uh, there, but then also got the chance to, to interview. And, that, and that's why I think this book really sets this book apart from a lot of the other law books, not just the tone and the accessibility, but the fact that I, I have been in the trenches arguing this. And the idea that a 40 foot tall Christian cross erected and maintained on government property at taxpayer expense is not somehow a Christian cross. Um, is is simply ludicrous, uh, and, and I get really get into why the court issued that opinion here. And once you understand that it's part of this crusade and part of trying to show that the separation of church and state is hostile to conservative white Christian privilege, though the court wouldn't put it in those terms, everything starts to fall into place, and then you begin to see what is really happening here, lift, lifting up that veil. Lots of talk about the problems. I want to get into some solutions. And who better than a constitutional attorney to ask? I'll continue with Andrew Seidel in just a second. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Check out my second podcast, 5-Minute Vignettes, True Stories About... A little bit of everything, past, present, and future. Just search on your podcast app, True Stories with Seth Andrews. And thanks so much for supporting that show. Back to this show, I'm talking with constitutional attorney Andrew Seidel about the Supreme Court. We've talked a lot about, and you and I have spoken about, the language of battle. 
I remember when I was a kid at Christian school, they were training up God's army. Right? We actually had that, you know, I'm in the Lord's army, and we used to like actually march like soldiers. The Bible mm-hmm. is filled with sort of this language of dominion, conquest, uh, not just one nation under God, but one planet under God. But holy shit, we're starting to really see language about what might be a, a literal kind of Christian jihad. We've got people arming and training, and I get the vibe that all Trump or, you know, I don't know, Cruz or Abbott or DeSantis or whoever would have to say is the right series of words in the right sequence. And we're talking about literal war, a literal battle. Do you ever worry about that? Do you think there are going to be people who are like, our democracy is under attack because QAnon or whatever, and they just decide they have to literally by force take their country back? I mean, I think we already saw that. I mean, that is what January 6th was about. The, I mean, the insurrection there, which was motivated and... He- I mean, heavily motivated by Christian nationalism. No, I'm, that was just I'm a tourist visit. No, no, no. Andrew, that was just, you heard the <laughs> congressman say it was nothing more than just a tourist visit. This is a rewriting of history, though, as we see the insurrection. Oh. They're essentially deciding history is written by the victors. If we consolidate the halls of power, we get to decide what's true and what's remembered, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, I was so proud to help publish and spearhead the report on the role that Christian nationalism played in the January 6th insurrection. Um, and then the January 6th uh, committee actually asked me to submit that uh, as testimony uh, and augmented some, which I did. Uh, I mean, it's pretty clear that Christian nationalism provided the permission structure that allowed those people to believe that they were assaulting <laughs> the, the beating heart of our democracy uh, in the name of, of patriotism. Right. To, to get that kind of warped cognitive dissonance, you have to have something like Christian nationalism backing this up. And, and, and it translates to the same thing that's happening here with the fight to weaponize the First Amendment and religious freedom, because this really is a crusade. This is a war of conquest. Uh, and in some cases, it's political power. Uh, it's not necessarily land. Uh, in the book, I, I show that the crusaders are looking to conquer our constitution and to remake it in their image. Um, So, you know, Pope Urban II, he launched the first crusade to cheers of Deus Vault, Deus Vault, uh, which is, you know, God wills it. And he emphasized in his sermon that it was the Turks who were attacking the Christians and they had, quote, devastated the kingdom of God, right? So it's this us versus them. And the medieval crusaders had to drop their plowshares, and strap on their swords and march to the Holy Land to retake and rebuild the kingdom of God, right? Conquest. And th- this language, as you pointed out, it's not new. And it's actually, this is the message that Amy Coney Barrett had for the new lawyers she roused at the Notre Dame Law School 2006 commencement. It was pretty similar. She said that being a lawyer is but a means to an end, and that end is building the kingdom of God, right? So, I mean, this is what they are working towards, and they're using their position on the Supreme Court to do it. And again, it's not just the justices. There's a whole shadowy, well-funded network of crusaders and groups that are coordinating these cases and bringing them to the Supreme Court in the name of religious freedom and building that into a weapon to maintain and enshrine Christian privilege in the United States. Religious freedom, religious freedom. 
religious freedom. Weaponized language, which makes it sound like, first of all, they're persecuted, right? How can Christianity be persecuted in this country, Andrew? I mean, I I look at people and they're like, they're coming, they're coming. They want to take everything away. And I'm like, what specifically have they taken? Well, what is any other, anybody you're afraid of ever taken from you? You know, have they shut down your church? Uh, Have they removed the ability, the right to worship privately uh, with fellow? Can you evangelize? You can go to your Christian bookstore. There's Christian media. You can wear your Christian jewelry and apparel and tattoos. And I mean, what specific right? How are you persecuted? And yet many people believe they are. Then you've got the fear mongers who understand the power, right? You take an easily frightened demographic and you scare them. And you've seen fear used as a weapon. They are coming for your religious freedom, right? Absolutely. And I mean, that's, it's such a good point uh, you know, I mean, for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, American Christians own religion tells them to expect tribulations, not, not, not the law and government bending to their every whim and fancy. Like the impending persecution is one of the few points on which all four gospels agree. So, I mean, American Christians preach and expect and even yearn for persecution. And I mean, you can see this in, uh, you know, the fabricated war on Christmas, uh, the God's Not Dead movies, which have financial ties to the Crusaders, by the way, Uh, the Left Behind books. I mean, Fox News feeds this persecution complex. And, you know, there was a study uh, in the PRI put out a couple years ago now, and they said about three quarters of Republicans think that American Christians face persecution. Um, about half the country thinks that. And uh, white, quote, white evangelicals are the only major religious group in which a majority say Christians face a lot of discrimination and the only group that thinks American Christians face more discrimination than Muslims, which is just, I mean, that's just fundamentally not true. And one of the things that I do in American Crusade is I ask that question that you basically just asked, which is, what would have happened if the court had decided this case the other way? And what would have, so what would have happened if the court had decided the Masterpiece Cake Shop case the other way? A business that is licensed and incorporated under the laws of Colorado as a for-profit enterprise and protected by those same laws from all kinds of liability would have had to follow laws that prevent discrimination against individuals on the basis of their race, sexual orientation, etc. What would have happened in the case of the Bladensburg Cross? A cross, a massive Christian cross, would have had to been moved to private land at, at worst. The people involved still would have been able to go to church. They still would have been able to believe that gay marriage was wrong. They still would have been able to have a Christian cross on their own personal grave if they so wanted. And one of the things that we are seeing, and that I get at it in this book, is that the crusaders are cowards. They lack the courage of their loudly confessed religious convictions. They are trying to put the burden and the cost of bearing those religious beliefs, and especially those bigoted religious beliefs, onto everybody else. And because they cannot, they're they're cowards. Uh, and their need their need for political power is actually feeding their their demographic decline. But it's it's the same kind of thing. If Jack Phillips does not want to bake a cake for a gay couple, he doesn't have to. Jack Phillips wasn't trying to. Masterpiece Cake Shop Incorporated was open for business to all and has to follow those particular rules and regulations. Uh, So it, it, it really is important to get at those distinctions. And I do that in the book in a way that I think everybody can understand. Well, another example of privilege is the, um, tax exempt status of churches, they have to be far less transparent 
than other 501c3s. And all of us, well, I say not all of a sudden it's been going on, but it seems there, there's a surge of the evangelical Christian nationalist politicians preaching. I mean, they're in the church, big-ass cross behind them. The pastor is, you know, he's looking adoringly from the wings. Lauren Boebert, did you see her? She, she, first of all, you could be in a room with Lauren Boebert, and you would still be alone. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, Andrew. <laughs> she was talking about the other day about wanton violence, not knowing, yeah. first of all, she was talking about a fried Chinese dumpling. They made life hell on earth with their envy wonton killing. I don't know what a wonton killing is. I'm going to have to look that one up. But it sounds interesting, and I don't think I want to be a part of it. But her, you've got Cruz, you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene. They are shamelessly preaching, not teaching, not platforming, not running for office. They're preaching, and the IRS doesn't care. Those, to me, are, again, markers of that they're raging against the dying of their privilege, right? And, and we're seeing this, this really fascinating feedback loop that's intensifying. And so I think part of it is their preaching, but also it's their wins, right? So their wins in the abortion case, their wins in the, the case of the coach imposing prayer on other people's kids, in the case of Maine forcing taxpayers to fund religious indoctrination – those wins actually swell our ranks, right? They are creating this feedback loop. And remember that, that this is the whole point of their crusade in the first place. It's about demographics. And because our opponents, especially white Christian nationalists, are working to privilege the chosen few, every victim they notch alienates more people. And it wakes more people up to the danger of a country that doesn't value the separation of church and state. And it drives more people to support the mission of groups like Americans United for separation of church and state. So their power-hungry aggression is actually growing our movement. And there are solutions to all of this that I get into in the book. But one of the things I think we need to realize is that none of the solutions are quick and easy. But the other side here played a very long game. They captured the highest court in the land and the justices on that court are drunk on power right now. The court remains unchecked. So we have to be building power and changing hearts and minds. And that is what American Crusade aims to do. That's what Americans United for Separation of Church and State does every single day, what it will be doing for the next 75 years. Uh, I mean, this really is going to be a long haul fight and everybody needs to get ready for that. So do you, you think that in some ways these hardcore right wingers, the activist Supreme Courts, has awoken the giant, so to speak, or at least awoken a lot of people who may have been politically asleep. So Roe and everything else rattles their cage, mm -hmm. and now they're spurred to get involved. The midterms on the horizon, I mean, you see that as a positive. I mean, I don't see it as a positive, but I do I do think, I would, I would rather they were not, you know, raging against the dying of their privilege uh, and accepting the fact that uh, the loss of an unwarranted privilege is not persecution. Well, I mean, to be clear, I'm talking about the galvanizing of people that, yes, in opposition I, to this overreach. Yes, of course. Yes, I do see that as a positive. Uh, I mean, we, we are facing an authoritarian threat in this country right now. And if we do not wake up to that, I mean, and we beat it, we barely beat it back in the, in the last election. 43,000 votes in three states really decided 
the last election. And historically, the midterm turnout is significantly depressed. Uh, but we are still facing that authoritarian threat. It's not Trump, uh, but I mean, we, we are seeing it in gubernatorial races and Senate races across the country. Uh, the, the stakes are just as high as they have they were in the last election. Uh, per, I mean, truly, perhaps even higher. They've certainly not receded at all. I'm going to use a phrase you've used. Maybe you hashtagged it. Unfuck the courts. Do I remember that right, Andrew? Is that what you used to say? I, I, I have on occasion. I may, or, I may or may not have had a T-shirt that said that. Yeah. It's the Supreme I mean, Court. Wait a minute. It's the highest court. I, they mm-hmm. seem to be operating beyond accountability outside of you know public outrage and the protest outside the courts and the homes. I'm so, so glad you said if that. They're the top of the, if they're the top of the pyramid, what the hell do the rest of us do, Andrew? So that, that's such an important point because our government was designed as this, this triangle of checks and balances, right? And we all learn this in school, right? You know, uh, the, the legislature checks the executive and the judicial and the judicial checks the executive and the legislature. And right now, the Supreme Court is running around entirely unchecked. The president and Congress have not done anything to check the runaway power of this judiciary, as they are supposed to do in our system. Our system was designed so that when one branch gets out of control, like we are seeing with the Supreme Court right now, the other two step in and yank back on the reins. And that is what is missing right now. And I think the the best solution, and I get into this in the, in the end of the book, in the conclusion of American Crusade, is to expand and rebalance the Supreme Court. Um, I, I think that is probably the only solution. And I don't think people really realize how deliberate the attempt to, I mean, it was a hostile takeover of the Supreme Court. And Leonard Leo is universally recognized as the man who engineered this. Uh, and there was a former, uh, there was a former employee of Leo who's, who described his mission like this. Uh, he said, Leo figured out 20 years ago that conservatives had lost the culture war. Abortion, gay rights, contraception, conservatives didn't have a chance if public opinion prevailed. So they needed to stack the courts. Okay? That's an admission that they are deliberately packing the courts and they're doing it for anti-democratic means. If the will of the majority prevails, we don't get our way. So we're going to undermine the will of the majority and we're going to use the judicial system to do that. Leo's job was described in terms of putting these people on the court as, quote, the monitor of the nominee's ideological purity, all right? Ideological purity. So they were chosen because they would do these things, because they would work to weaponize religious freedom, because they would under they would overturn Roe versus Wade. And one of the proxies for this is their membership in the Federalist Society. So Roberts and Alito were both nominated in 2005. Both are members of Leo's Federalist Society, or were. And Leo played a crucial role in both of their partisan nominations. Uh, Clarence Thomas was put on the court before, as you already mentioned, but he's a longtime friend of Leonard Leo's and also a member of the Federalist Society. Uh, Roberts, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett, all of them were put on the court by Leo. Uh, He is responsible for their confirmation. That's six votes on the Supreme Court that Leo chose for their ideology, right? He's responsible for five of them being on there. He chose them for their crusader ideology. And I don't think people realize... That is why we are seeing what we are seeing right now. 
Um, so, yes, I do think we need to do a lot of work on our. You know, I mean, if I can jump in, though, I mean, you yeah. say expand the court. Forgive my ignorance. I'm not a constitution. No, Are we talking about a constitutional amendment? To, to get no, how that, in the world do you facilitate an expansion of the Supreme Court? And that's one of the reasons that it's such an attractive solution, and it works as a check on the court's power. All Congress has to do is pass a law to change the number of justices on the Supreme Court, and all the president has to do is sign it. There are other things we can do, and we should do, too. We should explore things. Um, we should definitely, uh, as we talked about with Thomas earlier, we should definitely get a binding and enforceable ethics code on Supreme Court justices. That should happen today. Um, we can look at things like term limits, but that's where you get into a little bit trickier situation because uh, the term of the Supreme Court justices is, is set in the Constitution itself. It doesn't say lifetime tenure. It says during good behavior, which has been interpreted to mean for their life or until they, they retire or resign. So that's a harder one, I think, to get around. There are some really creative possible solutions to that, um, but I think the simplest easiest solution. And importantly, one that actually not only checks the Supreme Court, but fixes the immediate problem and will dissuade future attempts to take over the court for political means is to expand the court and rebalance it. Uh, but it has to happen. It has to happen soon. And now, we're, I mean, now we're in the point where it has to happen uh, after the midterms. And so that it just depends on the outcome of the midterms. Yeah, but from your per subjective perception, what's a good number? 12, 15? How many justices would you put? So I mean, typically people like to say 13. Uh, in, in the past, the number of justices has been tied to the number of circuits that we have in the country. Um, I, I personally don't have a problem uh, with going with for more than that. Um, and, you know, I, one argument that I often hear in response is, well, if you expand it, then the other side's going to expand it. And it's just this tit for tat. And there are two things to note about. There's actually a lot, but I'll just note two things. First, that already happened. <laughs> they already they already packed the court with their people, right? And and McConnell even changed the size of the Supreme Court when it benefited him politically, right? He knocked it down to eight justices for over a year when he blocked Merrick Garland's nomination proceedings because it benefited him and his party politically. And then he pumped it back up to nine when it benefited his party politically. Right? The number of justices is already a political football. And they, they deliberately packed that court with the idea being to unbalance it, to decide cases in their favor. Okay, so the tit for tat is already happening. The question is, are we going to do anything about it or not? And I don't think unilateral disarmament is a particularly effective political strategy personally. Uh, and, and the second point is that I think lessening the influence and power of every one of those justices is a good thing. I don't care if there's 51 justices on the Supreme Court. For the past two decades, litigants at the court have been targeting their arguments at one justice. Uh, so it was Anthony Kennedy for a long time. And before Kennedy, it was uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. And that is not the way our system of justice should work. It shouldn't, all of that shouldn't be, all of the, everything shouldn't be on the shoulders of one particular person because we know the way the other justices are going to decide these cases. Andrew Seidel, author of the book, American Crusade, how the Supreme Court is weaponizing religious freedom. Final slug for the book before we call it a day, Andrew. I really do not think you can understand what is happening with religion and law, with our Supreme Court, without reading American Crusade. Uh, it, you know, it, this is 
one of the most important things to happen in our country in the past decade. And I don't think people realize that it is part of this coordinated effort. I don't think people realize how much that reality and facts and the law have been bent and rejected to give conservative white Christians this exclusive weapon, um, that this weapon that they can wield in a way that codifies their receding privilege uh, in the face of these these changing demographics. So I, re- I would really encourage everybody to go pick up a copy of the book. I don't care if you buy it, go get it from your library. If your library doesn't have it, tell them to get a copy. Uh, if, you, if you've already read it and you love it, please go review it, give it five stars. And I appreciate everybody's support. Another quote from Andrew Seidel, you like to say, the minute America becomes a Christian nation, it will cease to be America. Did I get that right? You did. Uh, America will never be a Christian nation because the moment it becomes a Christian nation, it will cease to be America. It will cease to be America. Andrew Seidel, constitutional attorney and somebody doing important work right there on the front lines. Always a joy to talk to you. Thanks for your great work, brother. Thank you so much, Seth. Always a pleasure. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring The Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.